Campfire Classics is a classic literature podcast. However, your hosts will occasionally use not-so-classy language and immature humor to describe very mature situations. As such, listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Ken Sandberg. And I'm Heather Michelle Lawler. Welcome to Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your show. It's 2023! Shake, 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 shake your booty. Shake, shake, shake your booty. Interesting. Where's that accent from? Um, I don't know. <laughs> it's my new accent for 2023. <laughs> I feel like it's going to confuse people. I feel like I'm already confused, so. Well, that was quick. I mean, it doesn't take much. You also gave up on the bit really quickly. Yeah. The accent just went away like that. Yeah. Like, I, I, I was like, mm, nope, this is not the choice I'm making. Yeah. Okay. See, that's, that's what this New Year's all about. It's just like being like, nope, don't want to fuck it. Oh, okay. So it's gonna you're you're gonna be trying things and giving up on them quickly. Trying things and if they're not working, giving up on them quickly. All right. So listener, you know what to expect from Heather's accent work. Well, is that <laughs> different than normal? Uh, often you stick with it. I usually commit to the bits and the stories because mm-hmm. you know that's how people that are listening. Uh, follow the characters doesn't always make sense in the set, like setting of the story, but it, it helps people uh, distinguish what's going on. Uh, speaking of distinguishing what's going on, um, welcome back. Last week was a little tricky. Last week was weird. <laughs> distinguishing what was going on. Um, I'm aware. Uh, yeah. I mean, I did you get any emails about it or anything? I didn't get any emails. I got feedback from my mother. Shocking. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> who, uh, who, who, who likes to check in and share her thoughts? Yes. Um, but it was a fun experiment. So thank you for weathering that one with us, listeners. But we are back to our regular setup in the studio, in front of the microphones. Yeah. And you don't have to look at our faces. I know that is something very that's making people very sad. <laughs> that our they f- had to look at our faces. No, yes. <laughs> no, that they're not getting to look at our faces because they're pretty delightful. Well, fortunately, you can visit our website or 5050 Arts Productions website or our Facebook page or our Instagram or just look at the little picture icon that comes when this episode plays on whatever your podcast player thing is. What do they call that? Your podcatcher. And uh, you can look at our faces there. Yeah, literally, I just keep telling people, I'm like, yeah, you can go to all those websites, or you can just Google Campfire Classics Podcast, and you will find all of that stuff. You'll find our link tree, all that stuff. So you can find all the good things of us, including our faces. So welcome to 2023. Um, Learn how to use Google. Um, Oh, that's been pissing me off. My computer has somehow reverted to the, like, the default setting when I open my browser, my Chrome which is funny because it's Google Chrome. It fucking reverts to, to Yahoo. Oh, Yahoo. And I fucking hate it. <laughs> like, like the search engine sucks and I cannot figure out how to get it to go back to Google. And it doesn't make any sense because I never made that change for sure because I don't know how. And second of all, it's Google Chrome. <laughs> So if we have any listeners out there who are tech savvy and want to help Heather return her her computer to the realm of Google, please reach out and let us know you can help. Please get me out of Yahoo. I know that some of you are out there. Um, I actually, I had a similar issue a few years back. Uh, My browser default opened to Bing. I remember that happening to you, but you were able to change it really quickly. Yeah, I had to, not really quickly. I mean, I was, it took a while for me to, uh, I I sought help on social media. People helped me out. But for a long time, every time I opened it, anytime I'd try to Google anything, I was instead binging it. And I would have to search Google and click the link to get to that's what I yeah. have to do right now. And it's annoying. Normally when I open my browser, you open Google Chrome, a Google page would pop up. And then it would have a like a little window with all my 
like options of you know my Gmail and I also have Gmail, which is Google. Like I mean, good lord! Like I don't know. I feel like I'm in like the Matrix has glitched in some way on my computer, and I'm in you, yeah, you. I'm in Yoohoo world. (laughs) Yoohoo! Yoohoo! I could go for a Yoohoo right now. Yoohoo! Yeah, it's. I mean, it's just chocolate milk, isn't it? Kind of, but without any real chocolate or any real milk. Yeah, it's like Tang. Yeah. It's like Tang is orange juice, Yoohoo is chocolate yeah. milk. It's, 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 a, it's a fake fake product it's, of something fake. It's yeah. chocolate dairy adjacent drink. Yeah. yeah. And it was, I always liked Yahoo, or yeah, damn it, fuck. I always liked Yoohoo. Oh, this is going to be a good one, y'all. Uh, I liked Yoohoo because it came in, at least when we were kids, it came in the little glass bottles mm-hmm. with like the, like you had to open it like a beer. Um and it was just like fancy. It was like, felt like a fancy drink. <laughs> yeah, it's not fancy. Like Orangina. <laughs> also not fancy, even though no, it's like the French version. But it is version. delicious. It's d- delicious. It's like the French version of Tang. They just made it, they put it in a really pretty bottle and it's sparkly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's an orange soda instead it's, of yeah, orange Orange Kool-Aid. Kool-Aid. But like, yeah, it's the same thing. It's yeah. not good for you. <laughs> So, if you can help us either find Yoohoo in glass bottles or get Heather off of Yahoo, please email 5050artsproduction at gmail.com. Sounds like I've got a heroin addiction. <laughs> get Heather off of Yahoo. <laughs> what is the methadone equivalent? Bing. Bing. <laughs> I think it's Bing. No, it might be cocaine. It's like bing, 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 the bing. Oh, gotcha. It's yes, like the, understood. The, the yeah. noise in itself was it uh, onomatopoeia? Uh, onomatopoeia. Yes, the onomatopoeia. <laughs> I think an onomatopoeia is showing. Showing onomatopoeia. That's onomatopoeia. <laughs> Welcome to Campfire Classics, where we penis joke. I mean, that is kind of what we do. Everything. I mean, yeah, we're just setting them up for exactly what is to come. For what they should actually <laughs> yes. expect. Um, but that is not the uh, the guise under which we tell penis jokes. is usually much more highbrow and literary. But before we get to that, I'm going to return us to a longtime favorite. Long time. <laughs> longtime favorite. Going back days, even. <laughs> Welcome to Clown Corner. It's back, clowns. Oh, the Mummers Parade was yesterday in Philly, and I Ken showed me some pictures of this. We did not go. Um, it's basically a parade of clowns. Yeah. I mean, they're all wearing make like clown makeup. Mm-hmm. He said it was like drag queens, and I was like, that is not drag queen makeup. It's kind that of that is clown makeup. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's the it is the it is the um what the glitz and glitter of a drag show. It's. But it's clowns playing saxophones. Yeah, it, it's wacky. So look look up the Mummers Parade if you want to be terrified for all eternity by clown faces. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm keeping Clown Corner kind of short this week for several reasons. One, I want to. Um, two, uh, the clown I've selected spent much of his career clowning or clowning adjacent performance, but generally is known more as a vaudevillian singer. And third, he is one of the more controversial figures we've covered due to his historically problematic tendency to perform in blackface. Oh, I know who this is. Al Jolson was a Lithuanian Jewish entertainer, self-billed as the world's greatest entertainer. He was one of- (laughs) Self-billed? Self-billed. He was one of the United States- Classics, the most successful podcast (laughs) in America. Nay, the universe. (laughs) I like that. I like that. We're just going to start self-billing. Yeah. Welcome to Campfire Podcast. Campfire, fuck. Welcome to Campfire Classics Podcast, the best podcast ever. Welcome to Campfire Classics Podcast. Suck it, Joe Rogan. I just say that now to piss off his uh, <laughs> his uh, loyal, loyal listeners who uh, get mad when we yeah, say we had, suck it, Joe Rogan. Yeah. We had a couple people complain about that. We had, like, hate I was speech delighted. On, yeah, we had hate speech on our YouTube channel because people were like, <laughs> I love Joe Rogan. And I was like, oh, wow, you cool. came all the way over to this little indie podcast to tell me that. That's exactly why I hate him. <laughs> that is exactly why... Our feud for 2023 is with Joe Rogan. If we can get mentioned on Joe Rogan's podcast this is, for being a dick to him, we win. Welcome to Campfire Classics, a Joe Rogan hate cast. Yes! <laughs> Rah! 
Um, anyway, Clown Corner, Al Jolson. So Al Jolson, the world's greatest entertainer. He was uh, one of the United States' most famous and highest paid stars in the 1920s. So he made 12 cents a year. Because <laughs> that's the actor's life. Uh, he was born in Lithuania in probably 1885. He didn't know the exact date because records weren't securely kept, but he was pretty sure of the year. It's like probably around 30 or something. Um, and in 1891, his father, uh, who was qualified as a rabbi and cantor, moved to New York City to secure a better future for his family. Three years later, his father had saved up enough money to bring his family with him. I'm not going to lie. Given what I know of the early 20th century um, in Europe, he did the right thing as a Jewish man to get the fuck out of Dodge. Just saying. Uh, In 1902, Walter L. Maine's circus hired Jolson, whose birth name was Jolson, but yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, But Americans. Yeah. But uh, so the circus hired Jolson as an usher. After hearing him sing... Maine decided to add him in as part of the medicine sideshow act. Oh my god, that's like the fucking dream. Yeah. That's the dream. You're the usher, and then they hear your talent, see your talent, and they're like, get on stage. They bump you up to performer. That's like the number of people who I know, uh, like, for example, played football in high school and go to see football games, and they have the idea in the back of their head that the quarterback is going to get injured, and the yeah. coach is going to look out into the stands and go, you look like you can throw a ball. Come on down. Yeah, it's like the rookie of the year thing. Yeah. The ball gets hit into the stands, he throws it back, and it's like, oh, get that kid down here. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, over the next few years, he performed with several circuses and vaudeville troops as a singer, a clown, and a comedian. In 1909, Jolson and his wife were hurting for money when the producer of a minstrel show caught his act and offered him his position. This was the beginning of his long career in blackface performance. He became hugely successful. Today, his detractors say his success came at the expense of appropriating another culture, while his defenders actually say that he was bringing that culture to a white audience that would never have seen it otherwise and that he helped black culture gain acceptance in America, regardless of what you believe. At the time, he was widely loved. Through two world wars and the Korean War, he performed for the troops, even paying his own way when the USO told him they didn't have enough money to pay him anymore. That's nice. One critic even said... Everything he touches turns to fun. To watch him is to marvel at his humorous vitality. With a song, a word, or even a suggestion, he calls forth spontaneous laughter. And here you have the definition of a born comedian. He was on Broadway, in the movies, including starring in the first talkie. And love him or hate him, he was a hugely influential clown, or at least clowning crossover, in his day. Yeah, I mean, I've seen stuff with him that he is not in the very controversial and not okay blackface. Yeah. And he's very funny, like, it's, it is what it is. And it was a very, 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 very different time, even though it was only 100 years ago. And lots of people, like Tony Bennett cites him as a major early influence. And that just shows how not long ago it was, because Tony yeah. Bennett... Is well, at least was still performing as of a few months ago. Yeah. So, and that is Clown Corner. Clown Corner. The part. <laughs> clown Corner, uh, where we talk about clowns because clowns are cool. Clown Corner. Uh, honk honk. But this is not a clown cast. It's not even a Joe Rogan hate cast. But it kind of is. Officially. What we are is a literary comedy podcast. Oh, yeah, I forgot. Every week, we read short stories that we have pulled out of the obscurity of public domain and give these poor, sad, little-known authors a chance to have their obscure works read to a modern audience. It really is a great public service that we do. It really is. And we're like raising people from the dead. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty great. It's pretty fucking awesome. Um, But 
Before we jump into the story, I like to share some, we like to share some fun facts, and today I pick the story, so I get to share some fun facts. It's, this is actually Ken's podcast, and I just am over here making <laughs> stupid noises. I mean, that's pretty much what the podcast is. <laughs> <laughs> it's important to have the, um, the the clown and the straight man. Well, yeah. What did you say last week when we were recording? It's like, say goodnight, Gracie. Say goodnight, Gracie. That's pretty much my role on this. <laughs> uh, so, fun facts. Happy Public Domain Day. Ooh, that's right, because oh. it just switched. So, it's actually Public Domain Week, but listener, you yeah. get the point. Uh, on January 1st of every year, a whole crop of new work comes into the public domain. Wow. This year, we in the U.S., where we have a 95-year copyright term limit, are getting everything from the year 1927, plus a bunch of other stuff that's just entering this year for other weird reasons. New works entering the public domain this year include Agatha Christie's The Big Four, a Poirot novel, Virginia Woolf's To the Lighthouse, Ernest Hemingway's Men Without Women, uh, that sounds like an uh, underground gay club. I, I'm into it. <laughs> cool. Uh, now We Are Six, a collection of poems that is A.A. A. Milne's follow-up to When We Were Very Young. Yeah. Um, so, dear listener, go <laughs> ahead and look forward to some readings from that collection coming from this production company in the very near future. And if you haven't already, you can check out my reading of When We Were Very Young on 5050 Arts Productions' Facebook page. I'll link that in the show. If blurb. you aren't, if you are not Oh, immediately aware of what those are. Those are poo. Like, not, not, like, those aren't shit. They're very good. They're about Pooh Bear. Well, they are from the same author yes. as Pooh Bear. Yes. One of the poems from when we were very young yes. is the introduction of Pooh. That, that's how people know yeah. this author mainly is. Pooh Bear was their most famous creation. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the Jazz Singer, the first film to sync up audio with video and usher in the era of the talkies, was released in 1927. And Norma Desmond cried forever. Complete with Al Jolson in blackface. And Norma Desmond. <laughs> um, her life was ruined forever by Al Jolson. Yeah. So anyway, the, the era of the talkies is now entering yep. public domain, which is wild. Uh, Can't Help Loving That Man and Old Man River from the musical Showboat are entering public domain as are Funny Face and Swonderful from the musical Funny Face by George and Ira Gershwin. Huh. Uh, along with that kitschy song, uh, I Scream, You Scream, We All Scream for Ice Cream. Was that ever? That was that was not public domain? Nope. I thought that was just one of the, I was like, happy birthday. Uh, well, it may have gone the way of happy yeah. birthday, but officially it has entered so public domain So officially I now. can like make a movie and sing that song and not have to pay anybody. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Cool. Uh, and Irving Berlin's Putting on the Ritz. Burn on Ritz! Uh, that got, wow, that probably sounded really wrong out of context. That was uh, uh, a reference to Young Frankenstein and the incredible uh, um, Mel Brooks. And Peter Boyle. It's Peter Boyle who played the role, but yes. Uh, but most germane to today's episode is the fact that Sherlock Holmes is now fully and truly completely in the public domain. Really? In the years since his first Conan Doyle story became available, there have been legal battles ever over whether or not that means the character is fair game because many of his stories had not come out um, yet come out come into public domain yeah. yet most recently the Enola Holmes series has been ensnared in that particular legal kerfuffle but it is an issue no longer the case book of Sherlock Holmes was published in 1927 and marks the final publication by Doyle featuring his great detective it is a collection of shorts that includes the last two stories released in January and March of 1927 that means two things. Thing one, everybody get ready for a whole slew of Sherlock Holmesian adaptations and reimaginings in the next couple of years. Which is different from like 
what we've been dealing with. Because huh? now no one is going to have to think about whether they have to pay for it. I guess. Cool. Wow. Um, Who would have ever thought? <laughs> yeah. They're, they are coming. And hopefully they're going to include the third installment of the RDJ Jude Law Sherlock Holmes series. Oh, uh, yeah. Because I really want that. And I want more Nola Holmes ones, too, because we just watched the second one. Yeah, they're, that was great. Those are super fun, too. Uh, yeah. Thing two, Campfire Classics today will be reading one of those last two stories. <laughs> If you want details on Doyle, you can go back and listen to episodes 4, 5, 18, 74, and 121, where we have previously read his stories. Because we're getting into this week's story right now. The Adventure of the Veiled Lodger. Scary. Let's start this fire. Let's start it. The Adventure of the Veiled Lodger. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. <laughs> I was just making. Those. Did you forget his name? Um, I did, but then I realized I wasn't reading from the title page. I had skipped over it. So let's start again. The Adventure of the Veiled Lodger by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, published in Strand Magazine in February 1927. Haha, that's why. That's why we're reading it. Yeah. It just came into public domain. What's up, bitches? When one considers that Mr. Sherlock Holmes was in active practice for 23 years and that during 17 of these I was allowed to cooperate with him and keep notes of his doings, it will be clear that I have a mass of material at my command. I've been doing this a long ass time. Thanks, Watson. The problem has always been not to find but to choose. There is the long row of yearbooks which fill a shelf and there are the dispatch cases filled with documents. A perfect query, query, quarry? Quarry. A perfect quarry. <laughs> Is it always quarry? Like like a rock quarry. Yeah, like a wa- rock quarry. 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 That's a weird word. Quarry. 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 Yeah. wonder where that came from. That That's one of those words that you're like, who was like, that's the word for that? <laughs> You want to find out who Quarry. said that? Quarry is probably someone with the last name Quarry. <laughs> huh. Uh, All right. Looks like the origins are uh, Latin. Okay. From quadrum, which means a square, mm-hmm. to old French, quarier, to medieval Latin, quareria, to Middle English, quarry. <laughs> when they when the English were like, yeah, ah, it's easy enough. Um, quadrum, square, mm-hmm. uh, or literally meaning uh, from from the French, it became uh, the place where stones are squared. Ah, okay, so, so cut from stone cutting. Yeah. to the the quarry as we think of it, yeah. stone mining. It, it's what Fred Flintstone did. Yeah. <laughs> there is the long row of yearbooks which fill a shelf. And there are the dispatch cases filled with documents. The perfect quarry for the student not only of crime, but of the social and official scandals of the late Victorian era. Concerning these latter, I may say that the writers of agonized letters, who beg that the honor of their families or the reputation of famous forebears may not be touched, have nothing to fear. (laughs) Yep. Don't worry, we're not going to spread your family secrets. We're going to just say your name's Jane Doe and it'll be fine. The discretion and high sense of professional honor which have always distinguished my friend are still at work in the choice of these memoirs, and no confidence will be abused. I deprecate, however, in the strongest way the attempts which have been made lately to get at and to destroy these papers. Ooh. Uh-oh. People coming after your shit? Someone don't want him reading it. The source of these outrages is known, and if they are repeated, I have Mr. Holmes's authority for saying that the whole story concerning the politician, the lighthouse, and the trained cormorant. Cormorant? Cormorant? It's a type of bird. Oh. And the trained cormorant will be given to the public. There is at least one reader who will understand. <laughs> There's at least <laughs> was, one person right now that's like, fuck, go oh, shit, that's this me. Is the, yeah, well, this this is, we know who's trying to get the papers. 
And if, if you, you continue a certain story about, about a bird and a, and a lighthouse, lighthouse and, and a politician is going to come out, you know who you are. So stop it. It is not reasonable to suppose that every one of these cases gave Holmes the opportunity of showing those curious gifts of instinct and observation which have endeavored to set forth in these memoirs, which I have endeavored to set forth in these memoirs. Sometimes he had with much effort to pick the fruit. Sometimes it fell easily into his lap. But the most terrible human tragedies were often involved in those cases, which brought him the fewest personal opportunities. And it is one of these which I now desire to record. In telling it, I have made a slight change of name and place, but otherwise the facts are as stated. All right. So it's like, this is like the beginning of Law and Order. It's yeah. like the names and places have, have been changed, changed to, protect to protect the innocent. Dun, dun. Okay, cool. The guilty will burn in hell. One forenoon, it was. Oh wait, one for what's forenoon? Before one, noon. One one forenoon. One forenoon. Like forenoon as opposed to afternoon. One forenoon. One morning. One forenoon. I have never heard that saying in my life. Have neither, you? Neither have I. But I'm Is putting that it together. Really? What? It- one forenoon. It was late 1896. I received a hurried note. Yeah. Okay, Watson. One you, forenoon. You pretentious piece of shit. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> one forenoon. It was late in 1896. I received a hurried note from Holmes asking for my attendance. When I arrived, I found him seated in a smoke-laden atmosphere with an elderly, motherly woman of the buxom landlady type in the corresponding chair in front of him. Wrinkly face, big boobs. Got it. Cool. This is Mrs. Marylow of South Brixton, said my friend with a wave of the hand. Mrs. Marylow does not object to tobacco, Watson, if you wish to indulge your filthy habits. <laughs> Mrs. Marylow has an interesting story to tell, which may well lead to further developments in which your presence may be useful. I like that he is immediately using the tactic that you're supposed to use when you meet new people. Say the name. Find an excuse to say their name at least three times. <laughs> Her name is Mrs. Mrs. Marylow. Mrs. Marylow does not Mrs. object to Mar- Cigarettes, Mrs. Marilow has an interesting story. Something tell me, well, and it's all, yeah. Either that or he's got a wicked crush on her. All right, so he said that. Okay. Anything I can do, you will understand, Mrs. Marilow, that if I come to Mrs. Rhonda, I should prefer to have a witness. You will make her understand that before we arrive. Lord bless you, Mr. Holmes, said our visitor. Apparently she's of a lower status. Apparently, Adele is there. I don't know. (laughs) Said our visitor. She is that anxious to see you that you might bring the whole parish at your heels. Then we shall come early... uh, Then we shall come early in the afternoon. Let us see that we have our facts correct before we start. If we go over them, it will help Dr. Watson to understand the situation. You say that Mrs. Rhonda has been your lodger for seven years and that you have only once seen her face? And I wish to God I had not, said Mrs. Marylow. Harsh. It was, I understand, terribly mutilated. Ooh, that's gross. Well, Mr. Holmes, you would hardly say it was a face at all. That's how it looked. A milkman got a glimpse of her once peeping out of the upper window and he dropped his tin and the milk all over the front garden. That is the kind of face it is. When I saw her, I happened on a run of wares. She covered up quick and then said, Now, Mrs. Marylow, you know at last why it is I never raise my veil. Do you know anything about her history? Nothing at all. Did she give references when she came? No, sir, but she gave hard cash and plenty of it. A quarter's rent right down on the table in advance and no arguing about terms. In these times, a poor woman like me can't afford to turn down chance like that. Did she give any reason for choosing your house? Mine stands well back from the road and is more private than most. Then again, I only take the one, and I have no family of my own. 
I reckon she had tried others and found that mine suited her best. It's privacy she is after, and she is ready to pay for it. You say that she never showed her face from first to last, save on the one accidental occasion. Well, it is a very remarkable story, most remarkable, and I don't wonder that you want it examined. I don't, Mr. Holmes. I'm quite satisfied as long as I can get my rent. You could not have a quieter lodger, or one who gives less trouble. Then what has brought matters to a head? Her health, Mr. Holmes. She seems to be wasting away, and there's something terrible on her mind. Murder, she cries, murder! And once I heard her, you cruel beast, you monster, she cried. And it was in the night, and its fair rang through the house and sent shivers through me. So I went to her in the morning. Mrs. Rhonda, I says, if you have anything that's troubling your soul, there's the clergy, I says, and there's the police. Between them, you should get some help. For God's sake, not the police, she said. And the clergy can't change what is past, and yet, she says, it would ease my mind if someone knew the truth before I died. Well, I says, if you don't have the regulars, there is this detective man that we've read about, begging your pardon, Mr. Holmes. And she, she fair jumped at it. That's the man, says she. I wonder I never thought of it before. Bring him here, Mrs. Marilow, and if he won't come, tell him I'm the wife of Rhonda's wild beast show. Wait, what? <laughs> She's the wife of Rhonda's wild beast show? I guess so. Uh, that just took a turn. Not married to a person. Married to the stage. To the stage, uh, kind of? Sounds like married... She's- to a tiger. Married to the circus, I think it sounds Mauled like. by a tiger. Arr. It's inconsiderate cell phone man. Oh, that's a really random reference. I hope someone gets. Someone will get it. I believe. I feel like it's come up on the podcast before. I am sure it has. I only have six jokes. I just recycle them. <laughs> and I only have six accents. <laughs> Say that and give him the name Abba's Pava. Here it is, as she wrote it, Abbas Parva. That will bring him if he's the man I think he is. And it will, too, remarked Holmes. Very good, Mrs. Marylow. I should like to have a little chat with Dr. Watson. That will carry us till lunchtime. About three o'clock, you may expect to see us at your house in Brixton. Our visitor had no sooner waddled out of the room. No other verb can describe Mrs. Marylow's <laughs> method of progression than, <laughs> than Sherlock Holmes threw himself with fierce energy upon the pile of commonplace books in the corner. For a few minutes, there was a constant swish of the leaves, and then with a grunt of satisfaction, he came upon what he sought. So excited was he that he did not rise, but sat upon the floor like some strange Buddha with crossed legs, the huge books all round him, and one open upon his knees. Um, yeah, he's like, I'm so, he's like sitting there like a kindergartner. He's like, I found the book I wanted. Let's <laughs> read the biggest puppy ever book. <laughs> I love that I just called it the biggest puppy ever. I was referring to like Clifford. Clifford the big red dog, <laughs> But yeah. I think he's under copyrights. <laughs> Probably, yeah. Yeah. Almost certainly. Almost certainly. All right, Shirley, do you have a book you want to read? Is it story time? Mm Mm-hmm. I am here. I'm Sherlock Holmes. I want to tell you a story. The case worried me at the time, Watson. Here are my marginal notes to prove it. I confess that I could make nothing of it, and yet I was convinced that the coroner was wrong. Have you no recollection of the Abbas Pava tragedy? None, Holmes. And yet you were there with me then. But (laughs) he's like me on the podcast. I don't remember what we did. Dude, get your shit together. (laughs) He's like, I'm just here to document. You were there. It was last week. It's like I smoke a lot of tobacco. And by tobacco, I mean weed. That's why he didn't light up. That's why I didn't light up. Yeah. Holmes was like, she does not object to tobacco. And Watson's like, great. I don't smoke tobacco. I don't have any. And yet you were there with me then. But certainly my own impression was very superficial. For there was nothing to go by, and none of the parties had engaged my services. 
Perhaps you would care to read the papers? Could you not give me the points? Oh, that is very easily done. It will probably come back to your memory as I talk. Rhonda, of course, was a household word. He was the rival of Wombwell and of... Is that a real word? <laughs> Wombwell. Uh, these are all names. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Just a, Wombwell. That's a, that's a very unfortunate last name. <laughs> it's a well of wounds. Or it is the name of a baby who did very well in the womb. There you go. Right, one, of the, one of two. <laughs> Mama was pleased by that pregnancy, so she said, You will, you be, will be baby Wombwell. <laughs> You treated my womb so well, my dear. He was the rival of Wombwell and of Sanger, one of the greatest showmen of his day. There is evidence, however, that he took the drink, and that both he and his show were on the downgrade at the time of the great tragedy. Ooh. Uh-oh. The caravan had halted for the night at Abbas Pava, which is a small village in Berkshire, when this horror occurred. They were on their way to Wimbledon, traveling by road, and they were simply camping and not exhibiting, as the place is so small a one that it would not have paid them to open. They had among their exhibits a very fine North African lion. Sahara King was its name, and it was the habit, both of Rhonda and his wife, to give exhibits... Oh, shit. That's how she... Yep. Her face got mauled by a lion. I said oh. tiger. Uh, was oh, close man. This is some fucking... What was that? Oh, it's like the, the, the Las Vegas duo. The one got mauled by a tiger. Oh, Siegfried and Siegfried Roy. Siegfried and Roy. <laughs> so they're the tigers. This is yep. the Sahara King. Okay. So they would give exhibitions or exhibits, exhi exhibitions. That sounds naughty. <laughs> <laughs> I want it to be they would exhibit in the cage, but apparently they would give exhibitions inside a cage. <laughs> that sounds like something you go to an underground club for. <laughs> yeah, you pay extra late at night for the in the cage exhibition. In the cage exhibitions. <laughs> Here you see. <laughs> so there's an exhibitions in this cage with, with the Sahara King Lion. Here, you see, is a photograph of the performance by which you will perceive that Rhonda was a huge porcelain person. Porcine. Yes, that's, that is correct. <laughs> Not porcelain. I just thought he had the, like, complexion of a doll. No, porcine. Pig-like, Pig not like. fragile. <laughs> Language is hard. A huge porcelain person. If you <laughs> sneeze on him, he cracks. <laughs> Which would explain why he's dead. <laughs> As he plays with lions. All right. Here you will see is a photograph of the performance by which you will perceive that Rhonda was a huge porcine person and that his wife was a very magnificent woman. It was disposed at the inquest that there had been some signs that the lion was dangerous. <laughs> But as usual, familiarity begat contempt, and no notice was taken of the fact. It was usual for either Rhonda or his wife to feed the lion at night. Sometimes one went, sometimes both, but they never allowed anyone else to do it, for they believed that so long as they were the food carriers, he would regard them as benefactors and would never molest them. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ! <laughs> so it is that kind of show. Yeah, <laughs> Apparently, this uh, lion had the same temperament as a puppy uh, going through heat. <laughs> Just like to hump anything. But because it's a lion, it's a molestation, not a humping. Because just, just give it a, just leave a couch in its cage, it like goes. a chihuahua. <laughs> also, I feel like we all watched this during the uh, the pandemic. I feel like this is like Tiger King Part 2. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> guess what? Just because you're nice to the big cats doesn't mean it's not going to chew your arm off. <laughs> like... On this particular night, seven years ago, they both went, and a very terrible happening followed, the details of which have never been made clear. It seems that the whole camp was roused near midnight by the roars of the animal and the screams of the woman. Oh my god, it is Tiger King. Yep. Cheryl Baskin fucking pushed her her husband into the cage. Oh shit. <laughs> See, there are only five stories in the world. And one of them is Tiger King. <laughs> and one of them Tiger King. 
See, everyone thought that was frivolous television. Look at this. We got some classic ass Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, Sherlock Holmes. It's there, the same story. There are five stories in the world. Winnie the Pooh, Tiger King, Man versus Man, The Wizard of Oz, and Lord of the Rings. <laughs> That's it. That's it. <laughs> The different grooms and employees rushed from their tents carrying lanterns and by the... I don't know what this accent is. is becoming... <laughs> um, carrying lanterns and by their light, an awful sight was revealed. Rhonda lay with the back of his head crushed in and deep claw marks across his scalp, some ten yards from the cage, which was open. Close to the door of the cage lay Mrs. Rhonda upon her back, with the, with the creature squatting and snarling above her. Oh, she was being molested by the lion. Squatting over her face. <laughs> Maybe she just liked golden showers, and he's just like, Pee. Sit on my face and tell me that you love me. See, we went to a classy sit place. Sit on your face and tell you I love you. Monty Python, <laughs> It had torn her face in such a fashion that it was never thought that she could live. Several of the circus men, headed by Leonardo, the strong man, and Griggs, the clown, oh, clown corner! <laughs> the clown drove the creatures off with poles, upon which it sprang back into the cage and was at once locked in. What a dumb lion. He was out and could have just fucking gone out and he ran into the cage. Yeah, he got freaked out and went home. He's like, I get fed here. I mean, come on. Uh, la, la, la. They locked it. How it had got loose was a mystery. It was conjectured that the pair intended to enter the cage, but that when the door was loosened, the creature bounded out upon them. There was no other point of interest in the evidence save that the woman in a delirium of agony kept screaming, coward, coward, as she was carried back to the van in which they lived. It was six months before she was fit to give evidence, but the inquest was duly held with the obvious verdict of death from misadventure. What alternative can be conceived, said I? You may well say so, and yet there were one or two points which worried young Edmonds of the Berkshire Constabulary. The police force? Yes, constabulary. Constabulary? What a fucking British word. The constabulary. <laughs> or the police department. Yeah. Young Edmonds of the Berkshire Constabulary. Constabulary. <laughs> constabulary. Constabulary? Yes. That was the one. <laughs> I'm a big girl now. Nailed it. <laughs> kind of like the lion. Um, <laughs> apparently. Uh, there were two, one or two points which worried young Edmonds of the Berkshire Constabulary. A smart lad, that. He was sent later to Allahabad. That was how I came into the matter, for he dropped in and smoked a pipe or two over it. A thin yellow-haired man? Exactly. I was sure you would pick up on the trail presently. It only took you three pages, Watson. I've been talking for 45 minutes, <laughs> yeah. and now you remember the color of the man's hair. Not the mauling by the lion and the clown and the strong man, but the color of this man's oh, hair. Oh, that's right. We smoked a pipe. Yeah, I remember <laughs> yeah, him. Yeah, we got so fucked up. That was a weird night in India. <laughs> I was sure you'd pick, on the, pick up on the trail presently. But what worried him? Well, we were both worried. It was so deucedly difficult to reconstruct the affair. Look at it from the lion's point of view. He is liberated. What does he do? He takes half a dozen bounds forward, which brings him to Rhonda. Rhonda turns to fly. The claw marks were on the back of his head, but the lion strikes him down. Then, instead of bounding on and escaping, he returns to the woman who is close to the cage, and he knocks her over and chews her face up. Gross. Because obviously. Then again, those cries of hers would seem to imply that her husband had in some way failed her. What could the poor devil have done to help her? You see the difficulty? Quite. And then there was another thing. 
It comes back to me now as I think it over. There was some evidence that just at the time the lion roared and the woman screamed, a man began shouting in terror. The man Ronder, no doubt. Well, if his skull was smashed in, you would hardly expect to hear from him again. <laughs> <laughs> There were at least two witnesses who spoke of the cries of a man being mingled with those of a woman. I should think the whole camp was crying out by then. As to the other points, I think I could suggest a solution. Well, I should be glad to consider it. <laughs> Watson. Oh, sweet Watson. He's going to try and solve the He's case. He's going to try. Let's hear it. What you got, buddy? What you got, Watson? The two were together, ten yards from the cage, when the lion got loose. The man turned and was struck down. The woman can conceived the idea of getting into the cage and shutting the door. It was her only refuge. She made for it, and just as she reached it, the beast bounded after her and knocked her over. She was angry with her husband for having encouraged the beast's rage by turning. If they had faced it, they might have cowed it? Like, made it moo? Yes, they might have <laughs> turned it into a cow. So, um... That's where cows come from, actually, oh, is it, once upon a time they were lions. Oh. Uh, but they, they lost a staring contest. Oh, that oh, that's why they're so cute. They're yeah. like just big kitties, but they're also horsies at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, and it's why um, it's why cats, it's so hard to beat them in a staring contest. They just don't fucking blink, and it's because they're they know They're going to be turned into a cow? Yeah, that once upon a time a lion lost a staring contest <laughs> and was turned into a cow. Oh, we're weird. <laughs> I'm sure you can find that story on the internet. I'm sh I, I fucking believe you can. Statistically. I'm sure it's there. There are only so many ways the English language can be rearranged. It's very true. If they had faced it, they might have cowed it, hence her cries of coward. Brilliant, Watson. Only one flaw in your diamond. What is the flaw, Holmes? If they were both ten paces from the cage... How came the beast to get loose? It is possible that they had some enemy who loosened it? And why should it attack them savagely when it was in the habit of playing with them and doing tricks with them inside the cage? Possibly the same energy had done something to enrage it. Holmes looked thoughtfully and remained in silence for some moments. Well, Watson, there is this to be said for your theory. Rhonda was a man of many enemies, Edmonds told me that in his cups. He was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> in his cups. I, I love that. We used to use it at Colonial Williamsburg. He was in his cups, which means he was drunk off his ass. A huge bully of a man. He cursed and slashed at everyone who came in his way. Ooh, he's one of the angry drunks. Okay. I expect those cries about a monster of which our visitor has spoken were nocturnal reminiscences of the dear departed. However, our speculations are futile until we have all the facts. There is a cold partridge on the sideboard, Watson, and a bottle of Macrochet. That's some sort Mont of wine. Montrachet. Montrachet. See, I had French. There's French in the story no matter what I do. Montrochet. There is a cold partridge on the sideboard, Watson, and a bottle of Montrochet. Let us renew our energies before we make a fresh call upon them. I'm a little hungry, all this deducing and whatnot. When our handsome deposited us on the house of Mrs. Marylow, we found that plump lady blocking up the open door of her humble but retired abode. It was very clear that her chief preoccupation was lest she should lose a valuable lodger, and she implored us, before showing us up, to say and do nothing which could lead to so undesirable an end. Then, having reassured her, we followed her up the straight, badly carpeted staircase and were shown into the room of the mysterious lodger. It was a close, musty, ill-ventilated place, as might be expected, since its inmate seldom left it. From keeping beasts in a cage, the woman seemed, by some retribution of fate, to have become herself a beast in a cage. She sat now in a broken armchair in the shadowy corner of the room. Long years of inaction had 
coarsened the lines of her figure, but at some period it must have been beautiful and was still full and voluptuous. I mean, fuck, Watson always loves a curvy, voluptuous lady. Yep. A thick, dark veil covered her face, but it was cut off close to her upper lip and disclosed a perfectly shaped mouth and a delicately rounded chin. I could well conceive that she had indeed been a very remarkable woman. Her voice, too, was well modulated and pleasing. Oh, that's not the voice I gave her earlier. Nope. That's all right. The voice you gave her earlier was Mrs. Marilow's interpretation yes. of Mrs. Ronda's you're, you're voice. You're correct. Now I get to give her give her, uh, her her own voice. My name is not unfamiliar to you, Mr. Holmes, she said. I thought that it would bring you. That is so, madame, though I do not know how you are aware that I was interested in your case. I learned it when I was recovering my health and was examined by Mr. Edmonds, the county detective. I fear I lied to him. Perhaps it would have been wiser had I told the truth. It is usually wiser to tell the truth. But why did you lie to him? Because the fate of someone else depended upon it. I know that he was very worth... I know that he was a very worthless being, and yet I would not have his destruction upon my conscience. We had been so close, so close. But has this impediment been removed? Yes, sir. The person that I allude to is dead. Then why should you not now tell the police anything you know? Because there is another person to be considered. That other person is myself. I could not stand the scandal and publicity which would come from a police examination. I have not long to live, but I wish to die undisturbed. And yet I wanted to find one man of judgment to whom I could tell my terrible story, so that when I am gone, all might be understood. You compliment me, madam. At the same time, I am a responsible person. I do not promise you that when you have spoken, I may not myself think it is my duty to refer the case to the police. I think not, Mr. Holmes. I know your character and methods too well, for I have followed your work for some years. Reading is the only pleasure which fate has left me, and I miss little which passes in the world. But in any case, I will take my chance of the use which you may make of my tragedy. It will ease my mind to tell it. My friend and I would be glad to hear it. The woman rose and took from a drawer the photograph of a man. He was clearly a professional acrobat, a man of magnificent physique, taken with his huge arms folded across his swollen chest and a smile breaking from under his heavy mustache, the self-satisfied smile of the man of many conquests. <laughs> yep. Okay, so we got fucking Chris Hemsworth just got pulled out of the drawer. <laughs> He's like, hi, how you doing? <laughs> this is her lover. Yep, of course. That is Leonardo, she said. Yep. Yep, yep. Leonardo the strong man who gave evidence? The same. And this... This is my husband. It was a dreadful face. A human pig, or rather a human wild boar. For it was formidable in its bestiality. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> That's... We that, don't like him. That is an image in my mind. <laughs> One could imagine that vile mouth champing and foaming in its rage, and one could conceive those small, vicious eyes darting pure malignancy as they looked forth upon the world. Ruffian, bully, beast, it was all written on that heavy, jowled face. Those two pictures will help you, gentlemen, to understand the story. <laughs> well, I was a poor circus girl brought up in the sawdust and doing springs through the hoop before I was ten. When I became a woman, this man loved me. If such lust as his can be called love, and in an evil moment I became his wife. From that day I was in hell, and he the devil who tormented me. There was no one in the show who did not know of his treatment. 
He deserted me for others. He tied me down and lashed me with his riding whip when I complained. They all pitied me and they all loathed him, but what could they do? They feared him, one and all, for he was terrible at times and murderous when he was drunk. Again and again he was had up for assault and for cruelty to the beasts, but he had plenty of money and the fines were nothing to him. The best men all left us and the show began to go downhill. It was only Leonardo and I who kept it up with little Jimmy Griggs, the clown. <laughs> oh, little Jimmy Griggs. <laughs> Poor devil. Nice of you to help Leonardo keep it up, though. Yeah. <laughs> they probably shared a room, you know, and get, it's like prison. You gotta deal with what you got. <laughs> so they say. Poor devil. He had not much to be funny about, but he did what he could do to hold things together. <laughs> Then Leonardo came more and more into my life. You see what he was like. I know now the poor spirit that was hidden in that splendid body. But compared to my husband, he seemed like the angel Gabriel. He pitied me and helped me till at last our intimacy turned to love deep, deep, passionate love. Such love as I have dreamed of but never hoped to feel. My husband suspected it, but I think he was a coward as well as a bully, and that Leonardo was the one man that he was afraid of. Well, fair enough. He took revenge in his own way by torturing me more than ever. One night, my cries brought Leonardo to the door of our van. We were near tragedy that night, and soon my lover and I understood that it could not be avoided. My husband was not fit to live. We planned that he should die. Leonardo had a clever scheming brain. It was he who planned it. I do not say that to blame him, for I was ready to go with him every inch of the way, but I should have never had the wit to think of such a plan. He made a club, Leonardo made it, and it was the leaden head he fastened five long steel nails, the points outward, with which such a spread as a lion's paw. Oh shit. This was to give my husband his death blow, and yet to leave the evidence that it was the lion which we would loose who had done the deed. It was a pitch-dark night when my husband and I went down, as was our custom to feed the beast. We carried with us the raw meat in a zinc pail. Leonardo was waiting at the corner of the big van, which we would have to pass before we reached the cage. He was too slow, and we walked past him before he could strike. But he followed us on tiptoe, and I heard the crash as the club smashed my husband's skull. My heart leaped with joy at the sound. I sprang forward, and I undid the catch which held the door of the great lion's cage. And then a terrible thing happened. You may have heard how quick these creatures are to scent human blood and how it excites them. Some strange instinct had told the creature in one instant that a human being had been slain. As I slipped the bars, it bounded out and was on me in an instant. Leonardo could have saved me. If he had rushed forward and struck the beast with his club, he might have cowed it. More cows. But the man lost his nerve. I heard him shout in his I heard him shout in his terror, and then I saw him turn and fly. Leonardo's a little bitch. Chicken shit, punk ass. At the same instant, the teeth of the lion met in my face. Its hot, filthy breath had already poisoned me, and I was hardly conscious of pain. With the palms of my hands, I tried to push the great steaming, blood-stained jaws away from me, and I screamed for help. I was conscious that the camp was stirring, and then dimly I remembered a group of men, Leonardo Griggs and others, dragging me from under the creature's paws. That was my last memory, Mr. Holmes, for many a weary month. Then I came to myself and saw myself in the mirror. I cursed that lion. Oh, how I cursed him. Not because he had torn away my beauty, but because he had not torn away my life. Oh. I had but one desire, Mr. Holmes, and I had enough money to gratify it. It was that I should cover myself so that my poor face should be seen by none, and that I should dwell where none whom I had ever known should find me. That was all that was left to me to do, and that is what I have done. 
a poor wounded beast that has crawled into a hole to die. That is the end of Eugenia Ronda. We sat in silence for some time after the unhappy woman had told her story. Then Holmes stretched out his long arm and patted her hand with such a show of sympathy as I have seldom known him to exhibit. Poor girl, he said, poor girl. The ways of fate are indeed hard to understand. If there is not some compensation hereafter, then the world is a cruel jest. But what of this man, Leonardo? I never saw him or heard from him again. Perhaps I have been wrong to feel so bitterly against him. He might as soon have loved one of the freaks whom we carried round the country as the thing which the lion had left. But a woman's love is not so easily set aside. He had left me under the beast's claws. He had deserted me in my need, and yet I could not bring myself to give him to the gallows. Oh, see, she's a better person. Than he is, yeah. But I could not bring myself to give him to the gallows. For myself, I cared nothing what became of me. What could be more dreadful than my actual life? But I stood between Leonardo and his fate. And is he dead? He was drowned last month when bathing near Margate. I saw his death in the paper. What a moron. <laughs> he can't swim. <laughs> I don't know why he died. <laughs> Might have gotten... It's entirely possible I, that he was pulled out by the current. It's entirely possible that another former lover came to his bath and drowned him. I hope someone drowned <laughs> him. He deserves it, that little bitch. <laughs> he might have gotten drunk. Yeah. Slipped into the tub. Bye. And what did he do to this five-clawed club, which is the most singular and ingenious part of all your story? I cannot tell, Mr. Holmes. There is a chalk pit by the camp with a great green pool at the base of it. Perhaps in the depths of that pool? Well, well, it is of little consequence now. The case is closed. Yes, said the woman. The case is closed. We had risen to go, but there was something in the woman's voice which arrested Holmes's attention. He swiftly turned upon her. Your life is not your own, he said. Keep your hands off it. What use is it to anyone? How can you tell? The example of patient suffering is, in itself, the most precious of all lessons to an impatient world. The woman's answer was a terrible one. She raised her veil and stepped forward into the light. I wonder if you could bear it, she said. It was horrible. No words can describe the framework of a face when the face itself is gone. Two living and beautiful brown eyes looking sadly out from that grisly ruin did but make the view more awful. Holmes held his hand in a gesture of pity and protest, and together we left the room. Two days later, when I called upon my friend, he pointed with some pride to a small blue bottle upon his mantelpiece. I picked it up. There was a red poison label. A pleasant, almondy odor rose when I opened it. Prusic acid, said I? Exactly. It came by post. I send you my temptation. I will follow your advice. That was the message, I think, Watson. We can guess the name of the brave woman who sent it. The end. All right. All right, Sherlock. He was so sweet in that one. Yeah. He was so nice. And he kept a woman from committing suicide. Yeah. I hope she goes out into the world and, like, does some fun things. Yeah. Finds finds some ways to bring joy to her own life and, yeah. you know, maybe some others, too. Yeah. Just wear the veil and, and travel and go see, go see the world. Plus, you know how to run a circus. Maybe you can get back into that. Probably. I mean, what, what time? It's about P.T. Barnum time. Let's yeah. <laughs> Getting right around the turn of the century. Yeah. Move hey, to America. you can go hire Al Jolson. <laughs> yes, you can. He's about to start working. Yes, you can. Um, you're wearing a black veil. He's doing blackface. There you go. It's a <laughs> eee, shit. <laughs> uh, those are just facts. <laughs> those are facts. 
Wow, that was a very different uh, Sherlock story. Yeah. I liked it. Well, we're suddenly- We're at the very end. Yeah, coming at the end of his- uh, I'm, ass- I'm assuming this is the second to last one? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's one more that got is published about a month Sherlock's later. Sherlock's Last Case or something? Is uh, that- n- no, Sherlock's Final Bow is has already been released. Oh, okay. Because that's when uh, Doyle was trying to get rid of him. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. He tried several times. <laughs> it's like, come on, guys. He's dead. Leave me alone. Uh, yeah. The, so the the last one mm-hmm. uh, was published March fifth, nineteen twenty seven. I actually pulled it up to look at having you read this one, but it's like sixty five hundred words, okay. and it was just going to be long. Yeah. But it's called "The Adventure of the Shoskum Old Place." Okay. Yeah. Well, that was fun. Very upsetting, but I hope uh, I hope she's like yeah. I don't need no men in my life. I'm going to go on my own adventures. Because the two men in her life sucked. Yeah, they screwed it up. <laughs> yeah. Don't don't be those people. Don't don't be those guys. Be the better guys. And send the poison away. Because it's all there's always a there's always a, a better day coming. Yeah, yeah. As a therapist once told me, that is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Mm-hmm. And uh, my favorite yoga teacher said, everything in life is temporary. So just keep on going. Yeah. So uh, just to put this out there, because it's not to bring down the the comedy podcast, but the new suicide uh, hotline, which is now definitely active as of the first of the year, yeah, is the suicide and crisis lifeline. Lifeline is I guess it's not a hotline. That sounds like you're calling for something else. Um, <laughs> that's like a 900 number. Does that still exist? But anyway, it's uh, I don't know, probably it's 988. It's in a it's a tough time of the year for a lot of people, and you know, there's always someone to talk to. Yeah, that and that um, that is the uh, the the national hotline or lifeline or whatever you want to call it. But also, there uh, almost everywhere has a local equivalent where you can talk to someone who is nearby yeah. and who can offer you um, uh, perhaps more immediate close proximity uh, and even physical help. Yeah. So. Uh, Google or Yahoo or Bing them, whatever you need to do. Um, Bing! 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 But the cocaine of Google. The cocaine of Google. <laughs> Google's the marijuana. Uh, Yahoo is like... Yahoo's like Molly or like some of those <laughs> stupid party drugs. Yahoo. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely Molly. It's a party drug. It's like, which I've never experienced. <laughs> I've seen people on it and that they sound like they'd be yelling Yahoo a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, I hope you like that story. Yeah. Shoot us a message. Let us know what you thought. Shoot those messages to 5050artsproduction at gmail.com or any of the social media. Google Bing or Yahoo Campfire Classics podcast, and that'll give you ways to get a hold of us. And when you shoot us the message this week, please include this week's secret passcode, Bing, the cocaine of Google. Uh, yeah, and, you know, if you shoot us that message, please also remember to send advice on how Heather can fix her computer, because yeah, that'd be very much appreciated. Yahoo. <laughs> it's the worst. Um, any parting shots before we hang up? No, I think I'm good. My mouth hurts. All right. Well, <laughs> until next week, this has been Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. Yahoo!